Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. Have y'all used any of the like streaming service watch party things at all in this past year? No. Yes, I've used the Netflix watch party a couple times. And? Has that worked? The only one I've ever been able to get to work is the Amazon Prime one. I didn't know Prime had one. That's pretty interesting. But the Netflix party worked for me the first time I used it. And then I tried to watch it with my parents. We were watching Enola Holmes over Netflix party. Oh. Oh. We were like apparently not synced for like a really long time and they didn't notice. <laughs> Nobody was in the chat. No one was doing anything and they just watched the rest of the movie. And I was like, hey, I don't know what happened. You guys weren't seeing any of our chats? And they were like, no. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really tragic, but... It just cracks me up every time that I try to do it because it's always like, all right, is it playing for you? What are you seeing? Read the subtitles that you see right now. Right, right, right. If I pause, it doesn't pause for them. And like, it's just been like a running gag. Oh, that was the main problem. Yeah. I hit pause and I was like, we have to go. Our food's here. So we're going to grab our food and just set up and then we'll be back in. And it didn't pause for them. So then suddenly they're like 20 minutes ahead in this movie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Yeah, it becomes like a... I don't know. The movie starts whenever you feel like it, man. Like, let's just... Yeah, exactly. I bring this up just because it's like the old standby, the three, two, one clap. And then like, all right, we're all at zero, zero. We're all at zero, zero. And then somebody accidentally pauses and it's just a... Then you're just fucked forever. Yeah. My boyfriend and I, I was in Washington in January and... There's a show, Disenchanted. It's like a Matt Groening show on Netflix. And and it's our show that we like watch together. And a new episode came out while I was out of town. And I was like, well, let's have a Friday night and we'll FaceTime and we'll watch this. And we didn't use Netflix Party for that reason because I was like, let's just set up the timing and just do the three, two, one. Are you at zero, zero? And it worked fine. And then we could be on FaceTime too, which was kind of fun. Yeah. I just think technology is of the devil. I heard on the radio the other day, this is something that I've long believed, is that the one technology that's lagging behind every other technology is printing technology. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Excluding 3D printing, just literally at-home printing technology is like such a pain in the ass. (laughs) This is a very nerdy statement. I just listened to a Planet Money about this. I think I heard the same story on NPR about how they're changing the inks. Yep. Is it that one? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yes! And this woman was on the interview and I was like, preach. Yeah, that like grandma, right? Yeah, and she was like, I have to keep buying different ink. And I was like, it is an injustice. It sucks. So what's the deal? I already knew that printers suck and the many times where it's like, holy shit, it's cheaper to buy a new printer than it is to get a refill on ink. But what's the hubbub? 
So she was buying off-brand ink for her HP printer. Yes. And then they created some sort of update where, and I'll go off on a Keurig in a second. Actually, I should probably take that out. Don't let anyone know I use a Keurig. But <laughs> <laughs> did they added a DRM to printer ink? They added a thing where yes. you have to buy the branded ink. And it's like $140 for two packs or something. It's fucking crazy. One of my side gigs is I work for a fine art print shop. And one of the little blurbs that's on the site, I think I read, is that printer ink per ounce, the only liquid that is more expensive than it is human blood. Yeah, they they said that on the Planet Money. It's like up there with the most expensive substances. That is insane. It was wild, yeah. So what happened, they DRM'd it, but with a firmware update. Oh, those bastards. <laughs> right, so you could buy the off-brand ink, and apparently HP or whatever knew that people were doing this, and then they bricked the printers if you had off-brand ink, like mm. very deliberately. Uh, and then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you want to print something in black and white? Mm, I'm afraid you don't have enough color ink. Yeah. Oh. You're full up on black ink. I know, that's the worst. I use my printer just for mostly auditions. So it's just black and white, it's just sides. Yeah. And I'm like, how much would like a laser printer be then? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> they're like 800 to $1,000. No, 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 they're not. I was just about to say, actually, I have one. I got it for about 200 bucks. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a brother. It's a laser printer. I'm not doing an ad, by the way. <laughs> it's a laser printer slash fax, although who the fuck cares, slash scanner slash copier. And it was pretty cheap. And it is already paid for itself more than an inkjet would have. It's like the best purchase I have gotten. And it just works. Good printing every time. You don't need to worry about fucking, I mean, the toner gets low sometimes, but I cannot recommend getting a cheapish 200 buck, which is not cheap, but it's cheaper than like the super industrial ones. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's cheaper than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 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 I've had this thing for a couple of years now. Well, let me tell you also, when you start doing at home school and suddenly you're printing out <gasps> worksheets fucking constantly. Oh. Oh my God. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So having this laser printer was a godsend about a year ago when it was like, okay, now your kid's home, print all this shit out. Wow. <laughs> a lot of parents got really fucked by not being able to print. Not being able to print. And also, it just seems like such a crazy thing to cause inequity, right? Yes. It's like internet where we think like, well, everyone has internet, right? Uh, No, they motherfucking don't. That's right. And they don't have fast internet. It's interesting because I'm in some college courses right now. And so I'm in an online school and... One of my professors requires cameras on, mm -hmm. Oof. which is fine for me because obviously I'm an on-camera person, you know, and my problem in class is like being quiet. You know, I'm like, you need to let other people have a turn on us. <laughs> <laughs> but I was kind of thinking about it. And so I reached out to one of my friends who's a high school teacher, you know, at LAUSC and they're teaching from home. And I was like, what do you think the ethics of having a camera on policy is because obviously in an in-person class, you are required to physically be present. So you will be seen, right? But mm -hmm. you aren't required to show your apartment or your family or, totally. you know, those are things that people don't necessarily have right to request access for. And so it was interesting to me. Some people were really resistant to putting their cameras on, even though you can hide self-view, pro zoom tip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just don't forget that your camera's on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that seems like a accident waiting to happen yeah. there. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. just every single day, it's nonstop. Well, I've seen friends who are high school teachers say that when they teach class, it's just like a sea of black because everyone has their cameras off. Exactly. And I think that's what this 
professor is trying to combat, obviously. He strikes me as the kind of guy who really appreciates the relationships he has with his students in person and is trying to maintain some semblance of that with a really aggressive camera on policy. So, If I were teaching right now, I would definitely want cameras on. Yeah, for sure. Online will never be the same as in person, but I can't imagine teaching to just a sea of no faces. I know. And my math teacher does it, but he is the kind of guy who I think could probably teach to like just in a room with all the lights off. Like he just like has this like unending sort of energy for statistics, (laughs) which is like... Okay, wow. (laughs) So I don't know if you know this about me. I used to be a professor of physics. I do know this about you, yeah. So I want to hear about this math class because I love math. Oh, oh, Brian, I swear to God, my poor boyfriend is like, I love that you're into math. You know, he's like right on, you know, egghead for sure. But Mm -hmm. I don't have anyone to talk about math with in my life right now. So let's do it. Well, math is one of my favorite topics. So I was homeschooled. And if you give a child the option to not do math, they're not going to do it. So I just never learned any math in high school. I did a little algebra and I took a physics class at high school and I had enough algebra to kind of get through the physics class, you know, Mm -hmm. but I never really went that far. And when I wanted to enroll in community college, which my main role in my life right now is as an actor, and that's where my work comes from. Mm -hmm. But I was like, college is something I want to pursue. Like I want to be educated. My whole family is educators and I started in community college and I took the placement test or whatever, and I got placed in pre-algebra. I was like in two times negative two equals, you know? (laughs) So I was like, all right, that's where we start, you know? Okay, fine. Eighth grade math. Here I come. And so that was in 2015. And then last spring, I completed Calc 1. Congratulations. I mean, I went from Pre-algebra, algebra one, algebra two, trigonometry, geometry. I mean, I did every single, you know, pre-calc and then finally calc one. And then statistics is one that is not really in the chain of math. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all of these other majors that don't need to know any other math still need statistics. So it had kind of just been an outlier on my journey. I'm still only medium sure what my end trajectory is. I want to go into mental health and mental health research, you know, maybe sometime in five, 10 years. And so... I was like, okay, statistics is one that we do need to cross off. And I am loving it. Isn't it the best? It's the best. And I feel so bad because they took the prereq out. So that means people can now take this class without knowing any math at all. Mm -hmm. It's so everyone can save money and just get their statistics credit, get it over with. But I'm like, if I wasn't already like an accomplished algebra person, I would be struggling. Oh, yeah, I bet. I don't understand how you could do statistics without knowing. So our teacher's using Excel to teach everything. Oh. So I'm like looking, I'm like, okay, it's sigma n minus x bar. I'm like trying to look at the actual things, but he's not even teaching it. He's just using Excel because he's like, this is what you're going to use in your professional workplace. And I am teaching math basically with both hands tied behind my back. I'm not allowed to teach math. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy, right? My highest level of math that I ever took was algebra one when I was a senior in high school and taking classes at college, the professor was just like a very, very attractive Australian man who was very lax on grades and loved soccer. Yes. Yes. Like I went to his office hours and I was like, I feel like I'm doing really badly in this class. And he was like, what? No, you're doing great. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot express the relief I felt on my final day of this is the last math class I ever have to take in my life. I never have to do this again. You're like, I'm out. I'm free. The bane of my existence my entire childhood, like arch nemesis math, arch nemesis, the mile run. 
Mm-hmm. Amazing. I haven't had to do either of those things. And this is why I'm really against public school is because if people want to run a mile, they should be allowed to come to that on their own terms in their own time. That's my personal belief. Yes. The same thing about math is people do it in high school. I mean, why would you give a fuck about math in high school? You have so many other things mentally going on <laughs> that it's like, I can't focus on this. And I know so many adults that when I tell them I'm in math classes, they say, oh, I'm really bad at math. Oh, I hate math. Oh my God. But if I took a math class right now, I bet I would like it. Yeah. Well, pro tip, a great way to be really into math at high school, like I was, is to have zero social life (laughs) (laughs) and nothing else to think about. So that was a very effective way of having a lot of time to think about math for me personally. And I will say that one of the most beautiful things about math is that you're always going to get a right answer, baby. Yeah. When everything else in life is chaos and everything's going wrong, like you can go back to math and there are rules and regulations. Okay, so I'm curious if either of you know this. There's a very famous result in math called Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Have either of you heard of this? You could straight up be lying to us right now and I would believe you. (laughs) I'm really not. And I haven't encountered it yet, no. Yeah, so Gödel, is he Austrian or German? I'm not sure. Yes, Hansel and Gödel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's G... O with the umlaut, D-E-L, right? So not girdle, like mm. the thing you put on, but girdle, like this guy's name. It's girdle. Yeah, girdle. <laughs> so he, in the early 20th century, proved this absolutely bananas result. So, okay, when you get to higher mathematics, it's you're not doing numbers, you're proving theorems. You're trying to, to use logic to show that certain things are true or or untrue, right? So you, you, you're, you know, it's, it's like kind of very abstract stuff. It's similar to geometry a little bit, right? Where it's like, prove this. That's right. So you kind of just do something and you just kind of carefully follow logic through and then you figure out if it's right or not. And I'm vastly oversimplifying it, but that's what professional mathematicians do. They're not solving equations, they're proving theorems. So your instinct for when you learn math is, here's some set of rules, you follow the rules, you get the answer, Right. Right. So what Gödel showed is that, so if you start out with some basic principles, which in math would be called axioms, Mm -hmm. like here are the rules. Right. This is true. This is true. This is true. This is true. You might think then you just draw a straight line and you kind of figure out what's true or not. So Gödel showed that in any axiomatic system, in anything where you have this set of rules, there exist statements which are neither true nor false, and you can never say which they are. So is this just like a Schrodinger's math thing? (laughs) That's not a terrible analogy, actually, because they were happening kind of around the same time. The big difference in science from the 19th to the 20th century was basically the introduction of uncertainty in math and physics. Wow. Uncertainty in physics was this kind of quantum physics indeterminism sort of stuff. And in math, the like foremost example of this is this theorem of Gödel's, which any system of math, there are going to exist statements you make which it's not that you can't say if they're true or not. There are statements which are literally neither true nor false. They just exist. Interesting. Right? So what that kind of means is that math, it's not just like follow the rules and then you get the right answer. Right. There are 
things out there that kind of have no answer and they have to be there in any mathematical system. Right. It's kind of funny. This is a weird analogy, but this is similar to how I think of X, like in basic algebra, Mm -hmm. where you're just like, okay, to get to the next step, I have to accept that this will be a thing, but it's not right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of sounding a similar thing where you have to just put like almost a placeholder there to be like, okay, this is going to be here so that we can build on this theory. Yeah. But this step of the ladder may or may not exist. (laughs) Yeah, that's the really wild part. Imagine being a mathematician when this came out and you've based your whole life on like this idea of certainty, right? That's what mathematics was all about. Like, you know what's up. Then Girdle comes along and basically takes a fire hose to you and is like, fuck you, you know, who knows what's up. (laughs) Quantum physics is a perfect example of that, right? Because I remember reading about Einstein and just like people just thought he was fucking crazy because they were like, we have rules, for physics, and we're following them. And whatever you're doing is not following our rules. Yeah, that was interesting with Einstein because Einstein had some questions about quantum mechanics itself. Look, I I don't want to lecture. I mean, I'm loving it. (laughs) Okay, great, good. (laughs) I'm learning. Brian, you're like, I can't be on record as explaining math to two girls. (laughs) You know, I just can't have that. Math apologist. (laughs) No. Explaining math is my literal favorite thing to do. Oh my God. Okay, I'm all in. No, go on. I was just going to say, Einstein, as he went on in life, had some deep questions about quantum mechanics and some resistance to the idea of the uncertainty of quantum mechanics. Einstein had some early contributions to quantum theory and then kind of did other stuff for a while, like general relativity, the theory of gravity was his next big thing, which is not a quantum thing at all, has nothing to do, uh, in fact, is incompatible, as we know. Oh, then actually, I think I misspoke there because maybe I'm thinking about what he was doing with the theory of relativity and gravity. I think I was listening to an audiobook maybe that was explaining that there were physicists at the time, I'm throwing stuff at the wall, hoping that you're, as a physicist, are going to be like, yes, it was this. <laughs> you know what? I think what you might be talking about is general relativity. So Einstein's big idea with general relativity is that gravity is the same thing as the curvature of space-time. Mm-hmm. Like, mass and energy warp space-time, and that gravity is curvature, and curvature is gravity. This was like, for physicists, very advanced mathematics at the time, And for a while, there was this complete asshole named Eddington who, (laughs) he would be the Karen of physics. Spill the physics tea. Incredible. Exactly. Like this complete, I'm fucking, I understand everything. Fuck you, everybody else, kind of dude. And there's a famous quote where someone was interviewing him and they said, Professor Eddington, the current claim that I've heard is that only three people understand Einstein's theory of relativity and you're one of them. And Eddington thinks for a minute, and he said, who's the third? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, I actually can't remember if that story is apocryphal or not, but he was kind of an arrogant dick. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, can I speak to your variable? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm getting super excited about the statistics class because I'm like, oh, this is going to be where we're playing with numbers. This is less about actually like getting into like higher and higher levels of calculation and ultimately theory. This is more about here's what you got, you know, here's a big lump of something, organize it, which is like dream come true. <laughs> it's like every part of my brain is just 
all, I mean, the whole board is lit up. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm like looking for it. And the fact that there are patterns, like yeah. there's one where if you roll two dice, you get 36 outcomes. How many of them add up to five? Four. How many of them add up to four? Three. How many of them add up to, you know, and so on and so forth. I'm just like, <gasps> patterns. <laughs> it's awesome. The wild thing about this to me is now this kind of way of thinking and analyzing the world is now what people usually call data science, yeah. which is looking at huge data sets. In the last 10 years, it's become like the thing. I know. You can make six figures doing data science, man. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people who are getting physics or math undergraduates, this is what they're going into. The way the whole world works now is we're just constantly, by using the internet and using all these products, just generating these huge data sets, right? Which Google or whatever any firm has to analyze. I'm right with you. I watch The Social Dilemma, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so interesting. I know really little about it. I was a theoretical physicist in a very like pencil and paper kind of way. Oh, just a theoretical physicist. Okay. Yeah, just a lowly blue collar theoretical physicist. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me. My brain doesn't work like that. And I kind of wish it did. Whoa. Okay. So it doesn't work as in data science, but theory is your sweet spot. You're loving the axioms and the proving. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I like the more, I hate to say this, but like traditional math way of like, write down a bunch of equations and try to solve them. And that's clearly like not the way the world is going right now. So all the talk of like math being appealing because of rules is interesting to me because for me, like that was always my barrier for math. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked about this before of like, there is not always the one correct answer, but most of the time, if you're just doing like high school math or whatever, there is the one answer. And if you follow the rules, you'll get there. Yes. yes. I pride myself on being a professional bullshitter. Like that's what I do. I think to be a writer, you're bullshitting, you're scamming your way. You're like, I know how to use sentences. <laughs> yeah. There's no bullshitting. Yeah. Yeah. If you get English homework. If I can say enough fancy words to justify this thing that I'm saying, <laughs> I'm right. But with math, you can't. I'm sure you can, but it's beyond my purview and I have no interest in it. No, you can't. And that's what I like about it. With math, you can't guess because there are, guess what? Infinity numbers. <laughs> oh, and I know. I tried. I fucking tried to guess. Now do the kind of math where you're not even using fucking numbers. Right? It's just like whatever's some like crazy abstract concept, then who knows what's going on? Yeah. Who does know what's going on? What the fuck? Well, Brian does. Yeah, exactly. And we need to have a separate podcast now that's just devoted to math, to be quite <laughs> frank with you. The other day I thought to myself, I was like, math is easier for me than creative work. You know what? I totally agree with you. And this is why for me getting to the point of, you know, when I was an academic, I was doing research and then research becomes the creative work because you have to like figure out the problem and figure out how to solve it. So it's this crazy thing where you're like going along and you're doing math or physics or science or whatever. And you're like, okay, there's right answers. And then if you go in it long enough, you transition to this phase where you're trying to solve new problems. And then it becomes like actually really fucking hard. Wow. And it becomes the creative work that is much, much, much harder. It's, it's a wild phase transition. I have a perfect example of this, which is that I just got a Rubik's Cube. Yes. And I refuse to look up anything about it. I told my boyfriend, I was like, okay, they didn't have Google in the 70s and they figured <laughs> it out. So I'm going to figure it out. Yes. Which is classic me turning something that's supposed to be fun and relaxing into a chore and an accomplishment. That's all of us though. <laughs> I can get one side in like 15 seconds and I have never gotten more than one side. 
Have you seen the people that like do it behind their backs? Oh yeah. I watched Speed Cube, the Speed Cuber documentary. You better believe. Yes. <laughs> and I even said to my boyfriend at one point, I was like, okay, did you guys know that I had a boyfriend from... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Sorry, I forgot to say. Yes. Thank you so much. But I was like, I think the end game of a Rubik's Cube for me is to be a speed solver. And so I was like, technically this thing that I'm doing right now is not even the challenge. The challenge is once you know how to solve it, solving it fast. I mean, I saw a video that was related and they mentioned an algorithm and a couple of phrases for the algorithms. And I thought, so that's what I'm looking at in my future once I start to really get into it, right? But for the time being, I'm just solving one side over and over and over again. I've never even really gotten that far. I remember being a kid in the 80s and having a Rubik's Cube and fucking smashing it against the wall. <laughs> Amazing. I could never figure out how to do it. It was so fucking frustrating. Oh my God. Yeah. I know that the actual strat is about like identifying the certain corners because the corners are always going to have to end up in like some certain relation to each other. Mm -hmm. Our good friend Ryan McGee can like solve one in a couple of seconds. What? No. Y yeah. Yes, yeah. He's a Rubik's guy? Wow. I guess he's a Rubik's guy. He's a cuber? He's a cuber. You know what I always say? I'm always like, uh, my boyfriend, by the way, um, I have one. I don't know if you know <laughs> <laughs> He'll be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Cuban. Cuban. I love that. Just getting some Cuban in. Do you know about the other Rubik's toys? Like the vintage ones? No, I only know that there's twos, threes, fours, sevens, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's the Rubik's snake. Does that you know about the Rubik's snake? This was my jam when I was a kid. This sounds like something that would show up in my nightmares. <laughs> I'm going to look this up. Rubik's snake. The cube I couldn't figure out. No, no, no. I don't want the multicolored one. There it is. Green and white, baby. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, the camel. What? <laughs> this is the thing I'm talking about. Whoa, that's a long link. I didn't cut the UTM data. I like that you said that. Like, there's a chance either of us might type this link out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, give me about 20 minutes. Uh, yeah. Two... <laughs> Four. <laughs> I really like the colorway. Wait, so what's the point of this? The point is to just make shapes. How do you win it, though? <laughs> you know what? That's why I liked it, is you can't. So it's much less frustrating. You mean I can't be better at anybody else <laughs> with this, except to flex? You could make a brand new shape. I mean, I can't assert my dominance with this toy. No thanks. <laughs> Meet me behind the bleachers. Bring your Rubik's snake. <laughs> yeah. So one of the videos that I ended up watching was because there's a scene in The Simpsons where Marge is trying to solve a Rubik's Cube and the whole family is yelling instructions at her. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm not watching any videos about how to do it. But Ryan is my boyfriend. I just am going to say that. So I stop saying my boyfriend because it makes me feel like a teenage girl, which is probably <laughs> internalized misogyny, but we're just going to get past that. Anyway, Ryan and I were looking up that clip and then we found like Cuber reacts to <laughs> the Simpsons doing the cube. So we were really meta. And so then once we were in Simpsons Rubik's Cube YouTube rabbit hole, we landed upon a Homer Simpson Rubik's Cube. Ooh. And there is a Rubik's Cube that is Homer Simpson's head and, and neck. Whoa. That was when I learned about the algorithm because he's saying the algorithm, but I was like, this doesn't apply to my cube. Oh yeah, I see it. Oh my God. This is art. I love this. This Cronenberg-ass Homer Simpson. This is official Rubik merchandise? I'm not sure. No, it looks like it. It says Rubik's Cube on it. Oh yeah, it is. It must be. I feel like a bootleg version of that would be so fucking cursed. Yes. Like, here's your bootleg Homer system. It's creepypasta-esque. Yeah. This is deeply upsetting just looking at it. I can't even wrap my brain around how those pieces can move past each other. Yeah. I don't like this. 
I'm sorry. Cubist Homer. Speaking of Simpsons, I feel like YouTube has my number really dialed in in recommendations. And I was feeling like shit the other day. And it was like, hey, buddy, do you want some ASMR videos or do do you want like a Simpsons compilation? And I was like, Simpsons compilation, please. (laughs) I love that. Always a delight. Always a delight. I was recommended I May Destroy You again for like the 14th time last night. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm on cartoons, man. And I have been for six months, bro. (laughs) Yes, same. I've been meaning to watch it. I don't even know exactly what it is, but I think it's not totally fluffy. And I just can't deal with it. I May Destroy You. It's a show on HBO and it's about sexual assault. And I'm told that it's dealt with in a really dark, but also sometimes comedic way. And it's the writer. It's about her own personal experiences with it. So I just know it's going to be brilliant. What's her name? Michaela? Michaela Cole, I think. Is that right? I don't remember. Yeah. I know it's going to be good, but I can only watch cartoons or murder documentaries. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 For some reason, a documentary, and I think it's because they don't take you on as much of a relatable emotional roller coaster. Right. Where like a really good show, I know I'm going to be sobbing because I'm a crier. I just don't need that. I need the facts from detectives <laughs> telling me. Did you see the SNL song this past weekend? I did, and I sent it to everyone I know. Yes. <laughs> That is tragically exactly me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rachel also loves that genre, both in podcast and televised. That's a phenomenon. It hurts to be called out like that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'm glad someone was like, you guys know that you're enjoying the worst trauma of some people's lives, right? Like just to really hit home, this is people's kids that have died. <laughs> it's a very female dominated, at least in terms of audience, genre. Right. Mm-hmm. So why is that? Prepper mentality. Yeah. It's like bunker guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I got to know how she got kidnapped. Okay. She did have that on her key ring. Well, did she have pepper spray? Probably not. So I got to do this. Yep. And that's why I think I couldn't watch Night Stalker and I haven't watched Golden State yet because those guys just hunt you and then break into your apartment. Yeah. Yeah. The All Be Gone in the Dark, uh, the Golden State one. <sighs> I know. I haven't watched that one yet. It's great. And it's so well done. And the story behind Michelle. Michelle McNamara, I think. That's it. Thank you. She's amazing. And the work she did is incredible. And the, the thing is really well made. But yeah, it's it's fucked up. It'll fuck you up. Yeah, I know. And Leighton, I'll bring you in here on this one. Because you mentioned Don't Fuck With Cats to me most recently. Yes, yeah. So I did watch that. And I swear to God, I was making sure my doors were locked. I was like, Luca Magnata knows I'm watching this. And he's on his way over. I was like, <laughs> that one really freaking creeped me out. I was having a hard time with that one. Yeah, that case is especially so upsetting. Is that a true one? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a str- truly a stranger than fiction. Yeah, you could not make this shit up. Yeah. But a really big element of it is that he's just like a huge narcissist and wants attention. And there's like, you know, a lot of the most... God, quote unquote, famous gore videos are like, he is involved because he is horrible. I mean, there's the part in the documentary where you're watching the lady watch one of the videos and it's just like horrible. You don't see anything, but you just see her react to it and it's the worst. And so that kind of thing, I can't explain that quite as much going back to like why. Mm -hmm. You know, people used to go to public hangings. Yeah. Oh yeah. There is like kind of a dark part of human beings where 
I think we're just drawn to tragedy. Yeah. It's rubbernecking. And I also feel like sometimes for anxious people, I've heard that the beginning of the pandemic actually was okay for people who suffer from anxiety because suddenly the whole world felt like they felt all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there's some element of that where you're just like, that's right, the world is scary. It's a bad place out there. You're not crazy. <laughs> there's also that element of like, at least it's not happening to me in the same sort of way that people like me are chilled out by horror movies. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, this is a safe, controllable way to express my anxiety and like viscerally feel it. And then you feel that sense of mastery. Wow, yeah. Afterwards, obviously different when there's more reality to the situation. But I don't know. So when you were growing up, did you have a lot of exposure to Nancy Grace? Because my household was nonstop Nancy Grace. I could barely tell you what that is. (laughs) I don't really know even. Nancy Grace is a television personality. So I will say this. We didn't have cable growing up. We only had it for the two years that when my parents were going through a separation. (laughs) So, you know, they were like, "Uh, here you go, have something. (laughs) We had cable for those two years, but then mostly we didn't have that. However, my mother could not resist a People magazine. Mm -hmm. And so Um, I recently, on the topic of Nancy Grace, just watched the Lacey Peterson documentary, the most iconic murder of our time. I mean, we're about the same age, I think. And Lacey Peterson and Scott Peterson was every People magazine. And Nancy Grace is heavily featured in that documentary as basically his public executioner. (laughs) I don't know who this is. Oh, wow. Okay, it's so funny because Lacey and Scott Peterson is so clear in my mind. So it was a pregnant woman in Modesto and her husband was committed to killing her, which he did, and then he was convicted. And this documentary is on Hulu now. It's an A&E documentary. It's about the whole case. It's maybe like a pro-Scott documentary a little bit, which like, Mm. you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Nancy Grace basically put this man to death with what she did on TV. Yeah. So this is interesting. I have actually never heard of this case, which (gasps) I'm so surprised by. This is ringing a bell now that I'm looking it up. But see, my big one when I was a kid and the one that my mom was obsessed with was Casey Anthony for like years and years. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. On Wikipedia, the short description of Scott Peterson, it says Scott Peterson, American murderer. I feel mixed on whether he did it or not. But the interesting thing about it is that he was having an affair. So obviously everyone thinks he's guilty. Mm -hmm. I have, I think, a different idea of what an affair is and means than probably most of the United States, specifically because, you know, people very close to me have had affairs. People I love have been involved in affairs. And I think that it was very telling once everyone found out that he'd had an affair he was the murderer. Yeah. And Nancy Grace loves that. Brian, have you really not had that much exposure to Nancy Grace, like culturally? I've heard the name, but I have no idea who she is. If you look her up, you might recognize her. Yeah. Imagine a Karen. The person I'm thinking of when I think of Nancy Grace is Nancy Myers, which is not the same person. Who's Nancy Myers? Now we're all Googling a Nancy. Nancy Myers is a writer. She writes like rom-coms. She wrote What Women Want, that genre of movie. Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday. Oh yeah, these are some classics. Yes, exactly. And that is not the same person. Okay, so Nancy Grace. I mean, she looks like every other blonde, middle-aged white woman. If you saw her talk, I think maybe you would. Well, I don't know. Because Nancy Grace to me definitely sticks out as like the dumbest. I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could do a good Nancy Grace, but she's very loud, Southern, aggressive. You're going to tell me that he did not commit that murder? All right. All right. (laughs) They found the dog walking around 
in the neighborhood with no lead. 1018. <laughs> That's all from the Lacey Peterson documentary. That's not bad. That's not good, but. You're perfectly spot on. She is very frustrating, but there's sort of this like, she is really emblematic of the way the media blows up stories and especially how with like true crime stuff, there is the overemphasis on like missing little white girls. So she was big on the Casey Anthony shit and was one of the big like pushers of the Casey Anthony is a party girl, which she killed her child. Yes, she is. So Nancy Grace wasn't wrong, but just a really toxic presence in the space. But basically I brought her up because I'm interested in how many people were like inducted into being interested in true crime because parents watch Nancy Grace or something like that. Hmm. What I think is really interesting about this new genre of crime documentary that we've entered into is that so much of this new genre of crime documentary is calling out the role of the media in all of these cases. Yes, Mm -hmm. very much. We are ravenously consuming media about how media sensationalizes crime. I mean, the snake is eating its own tail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think podcasting is a Big, big part of that too, right? Yeah. Especially with serial and everything that has come since. I know there are all these true crime documentaries, video, TV, or film, but true crime on podcasting is probably where the bulk of it is. There's so much, and a lot of it is really, really good. Yeah. So one of the benefits, I think, of listening to a podcast about true crime is that they do all this extra research and are adding to your experience of the true crime stories, right? Yes. That leads me to the web sleuths, right? Which, Leighton, Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about this. They have a role in the Cecil Hotel documentary, and they also have a role in the Don't Fuck With Cats documentary. In my opinion, both benevolent and malevolent. Yes. Mm -hmm. I really felt that the Web Sleuths and Cecil Hotel were conspiracy theorists that were a precursor to QAnon, basically. Yeah. From what I know about it, which is very, very limited, it seems like once you have a bunch of amateurs going all in on often bullshit pattern recognition, it does more harm than good. Yes, exactly. Especially with the Elisa Lamb case, like, she's bipolar and off her meds. There are very reasonable explanations for this and to go in and be like, no, no, totally, she was murdered. Bit of an Occam's razor situation here. Yeah, it's gross because it's like true crime is a cottage industry. Yes. And like, it just perpetuates itself. Well, and also- People basing their investigations on purely on shit they look up online. Yeah. If the only thing you're looking at is 2D photographs, blah, 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 like mm-hmm. you weren't there to see the thing or really investigate it in depth. Sometimes for sure people find shit out and they're right, but there's so much inference. And on the other side of this, I just watched the Manchester Ripper or the, Leighton, did you watch this one? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I've barely been watching anything lately. But yeah, tell me about this. Basically, it was a total botched job by the cops, Mm. which is like a tale as old as time. Is this in England, like Manchester, England? Yeah, it's the something Ripper. And I can't remember what, the Cornwall Ripper or something. And it's a great documentary. If you want to get angry about sexism, which I love to do. It's the best. <laughs> and I think that there's something to the web sluice phenomenon, which is the cops are not doing their job, mm-hmm. you know, which they're not really. Mm-hmm. I think that we think there are better ways to investigate crimes like this than there are. Sure. Like, I feel like our expectations for movies and TV are like, well, and then the team comes in with the black light and the hazmat suits, right? And then they're going to blah, blah, blah. And there's a mobile crime lab and blah, blah, blah. It's also like, 
assuming a position of control because it makes this fear that is distant and uncontrollable something tangible you feel you can control with information, even though that information is not necessarily correct. But also because it's fun. You feel like you are solving a mystery when you go down a rabbit hole. And some people take that way more seriously than others. And then it's just everyone kind of feeding in on this, you know, Ouroboros of of true crime rubberneckery. Right. It's a really complicated topic. I mean, I always refer to what you're saying about people going to see public executions. And I've mentioned this on the show before, but the great episode of Hardcore History, it's basically all about the culture around when people would like straight up take their kids to see public executions and talks about how like the executioners were touched by death and they would be very like incestuous long lines of the same family doing it because it was like, if the executioner touches you, you are marked for death. Oh my God. And if they fucked up the job, the crowd had free license to stone them to death. So if you like missed, everyone would be like, all right, let's Shirley Jackson the lottery in here. (laughs) Oh my God, dude. And isn't it funny when I hear that, I'm like, we've come so far. Now we just do it online. (laughs) Yeah. So have you seen the latest internet sleuthing that's going on is people think that an actor from Mr. Show might have been at the Capitol on the 6th. (laughs) Have you seen this? I saw that. Jay Johnston, not Bob and David, but the guys who was in like Pretty much every episode. Jimmy Pesto and Bob's Burgers, I believe. Yes, Jimmy Pesto and Bob's Burgers. He's been in a ton of stuff. He's a character actor type guy. Okay. A very recognizable face. At the moment, I think it is unclear if it's him or not. I think a couple of industry people confirmed, like I think Tim Heidecker tweeted about it earlier today and then very quickly deleted it. Well, right. But I mean, who is more of a shit stirrer than Tim Heidecker? <laughs> this is true. Hey, look, I love Tim Heidecker, but I mean, his account, half of it is just trolling people, right? Right. So I mean, you can imagine him saying that just to stir shit up. I mean, that would be a bad thing to do. But what are the repercussions for being like, yeah, that's him. Oh, sorry. I was mistaken. Low stakes. Yeah. With for a lot of gain in inter- interaction. Yeah. Totally. But it's really interesting to see because you don't think of especially sketch comedy people as like fierce right wingers, most of them. Right. Occasionally you get your like Dennis Miller type figures who go off the rails. Because it requires you to have a sense of fucking humor. Yes. I know. Victoria Jackson, another one. Oh my God. What a sad thing. You know, Victoria Jackson. Yes. She was like the ditzy blonde in SNL in the early 90s. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. You've seen her and stuff. And she went like Scott Bayo level right wing. Oh, no. Yeah. So every once in a while, you get one of these comics who really go that route. And is it him? I actually looked on Snopes mm-hmm. <laughs> like a couple hours ago. Unconfirmed. I guess by the time this episode comes out next Friday, it will probably be clear. So if you're listening to this now. Yeah. Who knows? I had to look this up because last night I saw someone follow on Twitter said, Mr. Show Twitter is going nuts tonight. I was like, what happened? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, trouble in the Mr. Show fandom. And believe me, that's like your hardcore middle-aged comedy nerds. I looked through her replies. No one knew what was going on, what she was talking about. So I searched, okay, search for David Cross. Nope, nothing there, right? Bob Odenkirk. He's got a movie coming out. Okay, not that. And then I was like, all right, let's go through the bit players. (laughs) First, I searched for John Ennis, and it was a couple, like, people thirsting after him because he looks really good now. So I was all right, that's not that. And then Jay Johnson. I was like, oh, there it is, FBI. Like, Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, it's so weird. What a bizarre thing. Well, the internet sleuthing thing, there's sort of the long-running thing where Reddit 
is like, we're going to insert ourselves into this situation and solve this. They completely fucked that guy at the Boston Marathon thing. Yep, that's exactly what I was building up to. Wait, what? What's that? I don't know this. I cannot remember the details of this well enough, but anytime Reddit, quote unquote, figures something out, the top comment is always, we did it, Reddit. They like falsely accused somebody of the Boston bombing. And did he kill himself? I don't remember. But it certainly wasn't good for him. Within a day of the Boston Marathon bombing, a bunch of Redditors were like, this dude, get him. Wow. And this guy was completely innocent, had nothing to do with it. It was just like a rando thing. And people went after him. And I don't remember how it turned out. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Layton, did you watch Cecil Hotel yet or no? I did not. Okay. After reading everybody's responses to it, I was like, you know what? I don't need more rage in my day-to-day. Yeah. Rachel did, and she told me about it, but I have not seen it. They highlight one guy, his name's Morbid, and he's a death metal artist, and he posted a video of himself at the Cecil Hotel, right? And then they go to his page, and he has all these super dark, like Ozzy Osbourne, and literally they ruined his life. He said, I had to delete everything offline, all my music, everything. I couldn't do anything because people were just messaging me in thousands every day being like, you killed her. We're coming for you. Oh, God. Do you want to know when that video was posted? Sure. It was over a year before that girl was ever at the Cecil Hotel. Oh, my God. I told Ryan this. I was like, okay, so they can fly to Los Angeles, go into the Cecil Hotel, set their phone to record how long it takes between the door close button and the door closing, and they can't look at a fucking date on a YouTube video? Like, what? This is why you shouldn't trust any web sleuth. It's so easy to just ignore things, and then everybody en masse will accept it as fact. I will say, have you seen There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane? No. No, I don't know about this. That's one of my favorite true crime docs. Just devastatingly sad. It was a car accident where it was like an aunt and like five children, like sister's children, and drove in oncoming traffic and they all died. Oh, that, yes. Okay, I know what this is now, yes. I've heard of it, but I've never seen this doc. So what's interesting about it, because sometimes the web sleuthing is basically like, all right, this is all bullshit because they left a ton of stuff out here and here's like the actual take that they're kind of covering up because the family is convinced and to this day continues to harass the victims of the other family because the toxicology report was like her blood alcohol content was insanely high, like a ton of marijuana. And so the family refused to accept it and had her like exhumed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I forget the guy's name, but he's like literally the leading mortician in the world who has like worked on all the cases and stuff. And they like pay him to come in. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. There's no error here. But basically on the top level of the documentary, it's like, hmm, this is messed up. wonder what happened. And then when you look into it, it's like everyone was in denial and enabling like a raging alcoholic and refused to accept it. Whoa. Because that's Mm. pretty much exactly what happened. And yeah, it's just like horribly sad, but it's one of my favorite documentaries. I've gotten really curious about that sort of like blinders on mentality lately because I just watched the Challenger documentary series on Netflix. Oh, wow. And I only knew so many things about it, but having watched the documentary and understanding what really happened and that it was basically entirely preventable. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I lived through that. I was 10 when that happened. Oh, holy shit. We were watching that in school. Yeah, and her students watched the teacher that went up. Well, actually, 
Ron McNair, who was on that mission, it was not the first black astronaut, but one of the first. Yeah. He was my second grade teacher's cousin. Oh. And so he like came to the school and talked to us. And it was like, oh my God, this guy's a real astronaut. He's going to go up in space. And then the Challenger thing happened. And I mean, it was, of course, a huge tragedy for the country, but for this school, like this poor woman, her cousin died in the accident. It's a fascinating and very, very troubling story. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody read the details of uh, what happened when they went to get, I'm doing this thing where if somebody tells me not to look something up, I'm instantly going to look it up, but uh, just don't look up uh, how they retrieved the things in the state that they retrieved things in. That is very awful. Not good. I don't know this. I won't say on the podcast, but if you look at the Wikipedia page for it. For the Challenger? Yeah, there are some pretty grisly fucking details. There are some details about like, what was it like for them in the last minutes of their lives? (gasps) And what they were able to recover. Yeah, deeply upsetting. There's only one group of people that needs to read that, and it's the people that let the flight go up. (laughs) Yeah. But what I thought about the Challenger was I was like, what I'm watching right now is the absolute pushing what humanity and what an animal from planet Earth can do to its limits while still fucking it up with our same monkey brain. Yeah. (laughs) Our little tiny no foresight brains killing the most diverse group to ever go into outer space and one non-astronaut because of little brain no thinky good, you know, brain smooth, no wrinkles. It's astonishing. I'm like, you guys are sending ships into outer space and you're not going to delay the flight because no one will watch the teacher teach on a Saturday? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. There are icicles on the launch pad, dipshit. (laughs) We talked about this when we were standing outside of Bright Spot, but I think much like how children who grow up in abusive environments, they will internalize any negative messages from the parents because it is easier to be like, I am bad than to accept that the people who are supposed to take care of you are bad because like a child brain is like, oh, I'll die if they can't take care of me. Right. But in the same way, it's much easier to accept, for example, despite all evidence, clearly something went wrong and Aunt Diane is totally innocent and something horrible happened, blah, 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 and not we saw the train coming and didn't get off the tracks. We saw the mm-hmm. signs of her being an alcoholic. It's easier to accept that we had no culpability and that it's not, she would be irresponsible enough to do this. It's just what our brains will allow themselves to swallow. Yeah. Allow me to bring this to patriarchy, right? Let go. <laughs> we live in a system where failure is not okay. And it's not safe. And I mean that in the failure of someone who is an addict. And I mean that in the failure of we have to push this launch and it might lose us money. I believe that failure and rethinking, stopping, walking it back needs to be applauded. Mm-hmm. Because sure. there's no glory in you know hitting the stop button. Let's back up a little bit. There's only blah, 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 move forward, 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 forward. Like there's no, hey, it's okay that things didn't go right here. There's gentleness involved in the response for those kinds of things, as opposed to I feel like patriarchy is it's punishment for wrongdoings. It's this constant sort of chain of command of I will be punished, you will be punished, the program will be punished. Yeah, and sort of that idea of looking at addiction as if it is not literally a disease. Right. And obviously there's like very little general compassion slash empathy for that. Nobody is like, cool. 
I'm going to get addicted to heroin now. Right. Whatever. I'm, I'm not going to go on my whole addiction thing. Oh, but we should. <laughs> Everybody should because it's important and we need rehabilitation and not just setting up a yeah. cycle of recidivism and further addiction and death. But whatever. Anyway, Brian, what were you going to say? <laughs> not to bring up the mood a little, but <laughs> I was going to say, to take it from the monkey brains thing you were talking about, Anna. The opposite of that is the Mars stuff that's been happening yes. you know, recently. I am now at a point in my life where I weep when big scientific achievements happen because I'm so happy <laughs> about them. Yes. Think about the culture that you're living in, that there are people that are denying global warming. I know. They're denying the most basic science. So of course you cry when you see science allowed to succeed. Yeah, there are two things where I broke down into tears in recent memory, and there have been more. One was when they discovered gravity waves. They announced the the, the yeah. discovery of gravity waves. With Virgo? LIGO. LIGO, LIGO. Yeah, about five, six years ago. Absolutely incredible. A thing that I was told when I entered graduate school for physics in 98, I was told, we're not going to see this in our lifetimes. Like, the experiments aren't sensitive enough. Don't get your hopes up. I have chills thinking about it. It was amazing. There was evidence. I mean incontrovertible evidence of two black holes spinning around each other and merging. I mean, what the fuck? I like, know. come on. Now I just want the instruments that show what happens to human bodies when a gravity wave goes through. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Gravity waves are amazing. And the other thing was the Mars rover. The recent one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perseverance. Yeah, yeah. With the cameras and everything? Oh, it was incredible with the camera, but also just watching it. I watched it real time. And it's like the ultimate suspense film, right? Because you have this dead period where you're building up to it and it's like, okay, let's see what happens. We're hoping for the best. Seven minutes in hell or whatever. Exactly. And you just don't know. And then when they said, we have confirmation, I, I burst into tears. I, I legitimately started sobbing because it was like this catharsis of science fucking did it. Yeah. This has been years and years and years in the making. These guys have been in an environment, an anti-science environment for the Trump administration, Ugh. where you know they're just kind of plugging away at their jobs and working as scientists do. They're just trying to do what they got to do in an environment that's not particularly friendly to science. And they did it. They fucking did it. It was a triumph of everything that's great about science. We landed on another planet. It was a nice, diverse team. You know, it's not just a bunch of old white guys anymore. Yeah. Was it JPL that did it? JPL was part of it, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they were the control room. Yeah, I think they were the control room. I don't know exactly who was on what teams where. JPL was certainly a huge part of it. I was just like, oh man, this is the best part. It's incredible. For something like that to go right, you just know how many things they have to account for. Oh my God, yes. For every single piece of that to go right, they have to account for every freaking screw and what it's made out of and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And beyond that, it's not like, oh, okay, we landed him. Cool. He's there on a mission. I mean, he has tools. He has cameras. He's going to scoot around. They're sending samples back at some point. <gasps> Fuck, really? Yeah, I forget exactly when. Do you ever get like personify them though and how they're going to die on Mars? I know, that's so sad. And I actually don't remember how tentative this is. There is some plan to launch samples off Mars and bring them back. Oh my God. How crazy is that? I mean, and that's just like a cherry on top. Yeah. Something comes from Mars to Earth. It's crazy. It's amazing. Since we're over an hour in, this would be a good time to introduce ourselves. <laughs> As we said, we're very professional. This is Late Night with Brian Wecht, the show that you're listening to right the fuck now. That voice is Brian. Hi. This voice is Anna. Oh, hell yeah. Wow, that is pure professionalism. Yeah, get in there. 
Introduce yourself. No, I mean that. <laughs> You're so on top of it. You took control. Yes. Get in there. <laughs> Who are you? Even though we said your name many times in this past hour. Who is Anna? <laughs> My name is Anna Laurie. I really would like a donut. That's where I'm at right now. What's your go-to donut place? in LA. Okay. So I used to live in Koreatown. So California donuts was my number one right there. Always a bit of a line, maybe a tad overhyped, but not much. I mean, they're good donuts. They're solid donut. I have a a soft spot for Donatsu in um, little Tokyo. Donatsu? Yeah. It's under hyped. People don't know about it. I don't know about it. Yeah. D-O-N-A-T-S-U, Donatsu. They have a creme brulee donut that is truly out of this world. Okay. Oof. My little Tokyo donut spot is Cafe Dolce. Okay. That place is... I'm writing it down. Real fucking good. I don't know that either. It's in that main drag next to the little, like, convenience store. Fuck, I miss going and getting honey meat and conveyor belt sushi and then watching the guy who's always there doing karaoke and just slamming on that Casio keyboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that little cart. I'm a big donut friend fan, although I know there's been some shit going down there recently, so I don't know. Oh, what? I didn't know. Yeah, Donut Friend fired some people that were trying to unionize. Yeah. Hmm. Look, I'm not going to repeat allegations that I'm not sure about, but some of the employees were alleging some uncool behavior. Hmm. So I'll I'll leave it there and not comment further because I don't really know the details. But their donuts fucking rule. They're very good donuts. As a horrible cow's milk drinker, I tend to not go to places where they're like, um, actually, we don't carry cow's milk. You I was driving past, you know, the PETA Center. Oh, yes. I don't know where it is. It's kind of Silver Lakey, is that right? Silver Lakey Echo Parky. There's one on Sunset, right? That one? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. It's across the street from Dr. Foot, rest in peace. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Of all the things we lost this year, we lost Happy Foot, Sad Foot. How else am I going to know how my day's going to go? There's no way to know, no. God damn it. The one beacon of true spiritualism. Seriously. Happy Foot, Sad Foot. The thing that really could let you know how your day and life was going to go. It's gone. Yeah. Folks who don't live in LA, we've touched on several things that we have abandoned in trying to get through this, but there is a foot clinic on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. A what clinic, Layton? A foot clinic. A what? No, I'm not hearing you. It's a foot, 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 What's that first word? Foot clinic. What kind of clinic? Foot! A foot clinic. There we go. That's the proper pronunciation. I say rut, so. Are you from Minnesota? I'm from Iowa, so close. Anyways, non-LA people, there's a big old sign in front of this foot clinic that was very famous because it rotated. It was a big old foot. And on one side, it was a happy foot. And on the other side, it was a sad foot. So if you're coming down sunset and there's a light right there, whichever one is facing you is what kind of day you're going to have. For those of you who don't live here, that part of LA is known as the foot district. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Upper foot district. Yeah, right. We call it NOFO. NOFO! (laughs) Brian, just right out of the park. Yeah. Matt Watson has a Foot Clinic shirt, and now I just remember the existence of the Foot Clinic, and I need the shirt to commemorate. What, what would you estimate? And this is a topic that has come up on this podcast before. The whole foot thing is like a thing. It seems to be more a thing people humorously talk about than are legitimately into. Would you say that's fair? Are you talking about foot fetishes? Yes. No, I've encountered many in the wild. No, no I'm sure they're out there. Right. I'm not saying they don't exist by any stretch. But you mean statistically? What I'm really asking, to put a precise thing on this question, does it seem like vastly more people joke about it than are actually into it? 
Well, I think as a microcosm of this, we can look at the phenomenon of the ass-eating meme. How many people joke about eating ass versus how many people actually eat ass. I think I think it is always going to lean on the side of there are more people that actually do it. Oh, interesting. I think so too. I mean, I was just going to say, I think there are many closeted foot people out there. Mm-hmm. I think because it's a joke and it's not like just overtly sexualized like other female body parts, mm-hmm. it's like not cool to be into it. But yeah, I found quite a few people in my life. Mm. Something I was wondering last night, this was a real, I had just taken some fat bong rips right off the dome. <laughs> yeah. Some foot bong rips. Some foot bong rips. I'm on some tozy wozies OG, and there's Z's in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, are foot fetishists really, really into tap dancing, or does it frighten them? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Don't hurt those little feet, baby. Exactly, exactly. It's like basically a guillotine. Or get those little feet moving. <laughs> that's the flip side. There's a hard, hard line, much in the same way that in the lunar community is people who fetishize balloons. There's, you know, the lunars and the poppers and the poppers are seen as the real deviants because it's like you can't hurt the balloon, but their whole thing is Whoa. it only come if the balloon pops. Wait, this is a real thing? Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm mildly exaggerating, but yeah, there are basically two factions. Wait, you just blessed the timeline of my mind. Oh my <laughs> God. And when you said lunar, I thought you were going to say people who sexualize the moon. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, see, then there's the lunars and the sunners, and you don't even want to know what goes on between those. Wow, incredible. So some people don't want to hurt the balloon. They want to be gentle with it. And then it's like the BDSM of the balloon kingdom. Or is it more like (laughs) snuff porn? Uh, I mean, this is a real Pandora's balloon of fetish. That you opened, I might add. I popped it. Today (laughs) I chose violence. This is fascinating. Anna, we skated over you introducing yourself into donuts, which I think is absolutely great. But just in case people don't know who you are or maybe yes, what might people know you from? What do you do? What might people know me from? Vague internet things. I also do a lot of commercials. So sometimes I'll catch people from that. I've been in um, DC's Doom Patrol. I've been on CW's All Americans. Those are just a couple of TV shows that I've worked on. But you know, I'm a a bit of a jack-of-all-trades sort of thing and definitely master of none. There's all kinds of things. If you tuned in for the Valentine's Day bright spot, Anna was Laurel, right? Yep, that's right. The only one with the fake name. What was... My name was fake. Oh, Dream Girl. That's your real name, isn't it? It's true, yeah. I was Amy in the script, so we could do a Amy mm-hmm. Sedaris joke in there. That's also my coffee name. I never tell them that my name is Layden. I'm just like, Amy. Oh, really? Easy to hear. You know, I have to just mispronounce my own name. Right, of course. I don't do it on principle with the mask. It just makes it so much easier to be like, for Anna. (laughs) (laughs) I dated for several years a girl named Binny who would just go by Jessica whenever she put in a coffee order. Binny? Yeah. It's like a family name. I love that name. Wait, how do you spell it? B-I-N-N-E-Y. You know, that is going to be a really funny name if you ever go to the UK, though, right? Because that's like being named Trashy or Garbagey. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. I never thought about that. Oh, I was going to say, Anna, I watched all of Doom Patrol. I loved it. Oh, wow. I thought it was a really great show. You saw me as a little British boy. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doom Patrol is a great show. So actually, a buddy of mine, Neil Reynolds, writes on that. We did comedy stuff together in Boston like 10, 15 years ago. I don't think I met Neil, but it was with an A. No, with an E-I, N-E-I-L. I didn't even know he was writing on it. We started watching it. I was like, oh my God, Neil's on this. I kind of watched it because I had seen some review, which was like, this show is really going under the radar. You got to see it. 
And I loved it. I, I think it's so fun and weird and taking chances. And I just thought it was great. It totally was. And it was kind of funny because Umbrella Academy came out around the same time with a similar vibe of stuff. Yes. And I feel like I saw so much more about Umbrella Academy just because maybe they had a few more like more recent or younger stars or I don't know. That was on Netflix, whereas Doom Patrol is originally on the DC one, right? Yeah, so it's a little bit less accessible. That's totally true. And I didn't see it until they put it on HBO Max until that started. It's funny because they did that like last year sometime, right? In the fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people were like, what? You're in Doom Patrol? And I was like, what's going on? (laughs) Everyone's watching it all of a sudden. Was that a fun show to work on? It was really fun, yeah. It shoots in Georgia, and that was the first show I got to travel for. I think that's right. Oh, nice. Well, I guess I did travel for one show a while ago. Where in Georgia were you guys shooting? In Atlanta. So I got to like fly out there and get put up, and everyone's so welcoming. And it's always weird to be a guest star on something because everyone else is such a family, you know? And they're working together all day, every day for months and months and months. And so you're like just poking your little head in. It's a balance of being like, you don't want to be the kid that's like, and I'm your best friend now too, right? Right, of course, yeah. (laughs) But you don't want to be friggin' weirdo. I guess in Atlanta, it's like, well, do you guys want to go get some dope as fuck biscuits? Bro, I literally (laughs) ate biscuits and gravy every friggin' meal. I was like, and what are we going to do today, Anna? Let's go get biscuits and gravy. (laughs) The food in Atlanta is friggin' bomb, man. Oh, it's the best. It's ridiculous. It's interesting because my family was like North Carolina film industry and they changed tax break. It's This is a whole thing, but they changed tax breaks and incentives so that like Georgia kind of became the place where everybody would go and it like really fucked up the film industry and economy in my hometown, Wilmington. Wow. But it's always like, are you shooting in Atlanta or Savannah? Both have extremely different vibes. Yeah, I was in Atlanta. I had to double check to see if I've been to Savannah or not because I have been to the South one other time. But no, yeah, I was shooting in Atlanta. Savannah is... Oh, Let's talk about Savannah on another episode. It's fine. It's a fine place. It's a fine place. We're racking up a list for another episode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you can't drink legally, don't go to Savannah. Really? It's open container laws past Broughton down to the riverfront. What? Oh, shit. It's where everybody goes to get fucking trashed. And it has the largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the world. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. And so the spring break is structured around St. Patrick's Day because it's like you literally cannot go anywhere. This is insane. I think those are my two least favorite things, spring break and St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. I'm having a bittersweet one this time because my birthday is the 15th of this month and that's when we went into lockdown. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The official order was maybe on St. Patrick's Day or maybe it was the 14th. Happy birthday. I'm glad this is the anniversary of that now as well as my birth. Yeah. Funny how you're turning like maybe 10 years older considering this past. I am, yeah. I'm going to be 45. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you, as a 45-year-old, it's great. So- Congratulations. Really? I'm actually looking forward to my 40s. I mean, I'm about to hit my 30s, just to be clear, but I think that I'm going to be in my 40s. Being in your 40s fucking rules. And I'm not being facetious at all. It's just like things are kind of locked down. I feel like my personality is more dialed in even than it was in my 30s. You know what you want. You can make shit. It's great. It's funny. Everything you're telling me about your 40s is what people say about women in their 30s. Yes. 
my therapist literally says it to me every week. She's like, women come into their power in their 30s. I think that's true, actually. Yeah. 20s is, at least in my experience, was was kind of chaotic. I mean, I was in fucking grad school. It's tumultuous. And I feel so bad. Like, my brother's 21 right now, and I'm just like, every day is pain. I'm like, your 20s are so hard. It's so hard, yeah. I can attest, yeah. Especially your early 20s where you're like, I'm an adult, what? Literally when I turned 25, I was like, oh, this is why I can rent a car now. (laughs) The change in my brain after 25 was like tangible. I can't even remember who I was when I was like 21. That person seems like an alien to me. So 40s has been a great decade, except for the gradual dissolution of your body, but whatever. Right. And I'm sure the way time speeds up gets even faster because at 23, I don't trust time. I don't like how fast that shit's going. Oh, no. Let me tell you, every day is like the blink of an eye. I literally feel like I was 23 yesterday and I'm almost 28. Yeah, it's crazy. And especially once you have a kid, it's wild. The time just flips by. It's annoying when adults are like, oh, you grew up so fast. It was like just yesterday. And it's like, oh, you poor child. You enjoy being annoyed at that sentiment because one day you're going to feel the month slip. I'm like, you need to put me in front of some children. I'm going to be like, I know people are telling you, but you don't know about rent. Oh. Like you need to get it together and enjoy your time here. Yes. Yeah. High school is going to be the worst years of your life. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. It's going to suck ass. And 10 years later, you're going to be on top of the world. (laughs) You can rent a car. I think this is a good time to move on to some segments. Please. Look at this structure and rules. Well, hello there, Jarek. It's just me, your friend Leighton. I hope you're doing good. I don't know if you saw Phoebe Bridger's skeleton sweatpants are back in stock. I purchased a pair so I can now have uh, Phoebe Bridger's on my ass. Let's move on to some segments. Leighton, what do you think? Segments sound great. What segment would you like to do first? Don't put this on me. No, I'm just asking you. Brian, you know there are rules and structures and laws Uh to this podcast. I do. And it's time for you to introduce your favorite segment. Okay, great. This segment, uh, Anna, this is our pop culture recommendation segment. It's called What's Poppin', and here's the theme song. What's Poppin'? What's Poppin'? All right, great. That was the theme song to What's Poppin'. Who wants to go first? Holy shit, Brian, the self-control. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Incredible. Anna, this is usually a whole thing, and... Being able to go an episode, not having to explain it sounds really great to me. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Layden. Of course you don't. Uh, Anna, what's popping? So I'm going to recommend a book because I feel like I've heard a lot of people lately be like, oh, I should get back into reading. Yeah, mm. I've been in that zone. So hard to fucking focus on a book. But I got this recommendation because I was watching David Sedaris's masterclass. Oh, nice. And he recommended this book called um, Less. And it's a couple years old. It's by Andrew Sean Greer. And it's about basically like an aging gay man writer who is traveling the world to try to avoid his ex's wedding. It's a novel? It's a novel, yeah. And it's a fiction novel and it's a good, easy read. And so that's why I'm recommending it because I think if you want to get into some reading, ease your way in, start with some nice, well-written fiction. Oh, won a Pulitzer. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. There's a lot of travel in it and really like beautifully describes the places he's traveling to. So it's vicarious travel through this book I found. I'm not going to lie, it made my heart ache. Like I was like, I can't wait to get on a plane and go to a new place and experiencing it. But I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it was the last book I finished. I'm the queen of 
starting things. You know, I'm like five books started right now, but I'll join you in the Royal court on that. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll give a little curtsy and I will put on my jester hat and do my funny little dance of not finishing things. (laughs) Cool. Other than that, I'm watching The Bachelor, but I really cannot recommend The Bachelor. Of course. But you enjoy it. It's really important to be able to acknowledge stuff that you just own, that you like. It's like, I don't know, not for everybody, but it's for me. Right, exactly, exactly. Brian? Yes? What's popping? What's popping for me? I've been revisiting one of my favorite albums recently. And by recently, I mean like right before we started recording. Ben Folds 5, Whatever and Ever Amen. Ooh. Oh my God. Man, I love Ben Folds 5. It's not their first album, Whatever and Ever Amen, but I think it's their second. And it has so many great songs. The songwriting is just unparalleled. He's a fantastic uh, pianist. The musicianship is incredible. I love the lyrics, the actual music, like the instrumental. It's the perfect package. And the next album too, or one of the next albums, Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner, is another one of my favorites. I could just listen to it all the time, over and over and over again. Never gets old. Been listening to it, not quite since it came out, probably a few years later, but just one of those albums that is a complete evergreen. I love it so much. There's not a bad track on it. I told a story about this album a couple weeks ago (laughs) on the podcast, and ever since then, I've been kind of listening to it again. It's fantastic. If you haven't listened to it, do it. Wow. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Something good coming out of the song for the dumped. Yeah. I got to check it out. Ben Folds 5 is the same thing as Ben Folds, right? Ben Folds 5 is a trio with him, drums, and a bass that sounds like a guitar. Like the guy plays it like it's like guitar. Oh, shit. I should learn some Ben Folds bass lines. That bassist, fuck, I can't remember his name. You listen to it and you're like, that's not a bass. Because he's got the distortion on and it's he's so virtuosic at it. Oh, you know my feelings on that shit. Yeah, it's so great. The playing is just unparalleled. It's one of those things you listen to it. You, you like you realize that there's only three people, but it sounds like there should be more. Whoa. But Ben Folds has his own solo albums, which are not with that group. I was gonna say Rock in the Suburbs is one of my favorite. Yeah, so that's just post Ben Folds Five. That was, I think, on his first solo album. And of course we have the unparalleled cover of Bitches Ain't Shit. Yes. It's very good. He has one song on that on the album I'm talking about called Kate. I don't even know how to write a song that good. I had a loss for words. It's so hooky and clever and catchy. The vocals on it are fantastic. I love everything about it. I had a friend actually who really loved that song too, who once told me I had to force myself to stop listening to it because it was the only thing I listened to for like a week. Yeah. One of the songs on that album too is it gets the, I think the band is the Klezmatics. It's got a Klezmer band behind them. Shit. And uh, that song's called Steven's Last Night in Town. Also a just a stomper. Love it. I love any musician who's like, you know, I'm going to name this song after just like a guy. And he does that all the time. I mean, the album I'm talking about are all named after people. Yep. Yeah. A lot of Nick Cave, Tom Waits shit there. Very Mountain Goatsy. Oh, yeah. Wow. I just love a song about a dude. Oh, a weird little dude. Well, that's a lot of Ben Fold songs for sure. Layton, what's popping with you? What's Poppin' for me is a sequel to my What's Poppin' from last week because I watched and recommended I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And I was like, Mm -hmm. man, I haven't watched any Charlie Kaufman movies in a long time. So the other night I watched Adaptation for the first time. First time? What? Really? Yeah, that movie fucking slaps. I can't believe I got this far in my life without having seen Adaptation. It's so good. Holy shit. So I've only seen Being John Malkovich and Anomalisa. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Eternal Sunshine or? I actually 
don't think I have. That's like one of my favorite movies that people don't get murdered in. It's a great film. It's an all-time favorite. I think by the time I like would have come around to like watching it on my own, like the manic pixie dream girl was already tired. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, I mean, that's kind of why that movie is great, because it is very, very self-aware about that trope. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, that's kind of the whole bit. I did not know that. Wow. Other than the, you know, magical realism elements. But yes, highly recommend. Yeah, basically what that movie is, is, okay, it's the magic pixie dream girl, and then they're in a relationship and have to deal with that. The realities of actually being in a relationship. Oh, wow. Holy crap. I mean, that's funny. I've always considered that movie one of the contributors to the trope. So it's interesting to hear that. Which it is, for sure. But Leighton, okay, I want to hear your adaptation take. My adaptation take is very rarely is a movie a solid five for me. Solid five. Nick Cage playing Charlie Kaufman and Charlie Kaufman's fictional brother, Brian Cox, showing up as Robert McKee. Yes. Meryl Streep tearing it up. Meryl Streep. Like, fuck. And like the latter... Ooh, just the metatextual overindulgence, Charlie Kaufman's self-loathing, the latter half of it turning into like the shitty crime thriller version of it, but it's still being really good. I love when a quote-unquote normal movie ends up having gore in a body count. Like, it's about being a writer and hating yourself, which is like, yeah, that's my shit. And so last night, I was like, I need more. Give me more of the Charlie Kaufman. And I rewatched Being John Malkovich for the first time since a high school film club that I started. Mm. God damn it, that movie. I feel like I liked it at the time. I didn't appreciate it. I cannot believe that was Cameron Diaz. I know, right? Oh, yeah, that's nuts. I was like, that woman really looks like Cameron Diaz. It's crazy. She looks exactly like her. Yeah. And then I found out, I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I only found out recently that the uh, the Malkovich think fast thing you know this when he's walking along the side of the highway? Yeah. That was not scripted. That was someone legitimately throwing a can at him. So the thing is, is it was legitimately throwing a can and they were going to cut it because they were like, there's no way we can hit him on the noggin at night right now. Like, there's no way we can actually make this happen. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. I got it a little wrong. Yeah. And then everybody on the crew was like, I'll try it. And they got it on the first try. (laughs) It's so funny. Oh, whoa. But yeah, I love John Malkovich and just, he's fucking amazing. I just love somebody who's the articulate rage. Brian Cox is also incredible at that. Yes. Yeah, just fabulous. Catherine Keener. Oh, the best. Always the best. My heart. I love you. So I started, I'm thinking of ending things, but I didn't follow through on it. What an ironic title for that particular situation. I know. I'm thinking of ending this show, and I did. And I think that's because it's a show to really enjoy. You have to focus. Would you say that's like, I have to watch because things are happening without dialogue. Whereas like right now my mode is put it on in the background and listen. Yeah. You have to be willing to tolerate a very, very high level of bullshit And I think my opinion of the movie would change if I had not read the novella that it's adapted from like a couple of years ago. I think I probably would have intensely disliked it. Well, now I'm curious. My interest has peaked. Yeah. Yeah. The novella is like one of those things where, and I said this on the last week's episode, where the bit is kind of hack. And if you know that the bit's coming, the movie becomes very obvious But like, it's such a short read where it's like, if something sucks and takes forever, I'm going to be mad. But if something is like mostly good, kind of sucky, but you're in and out in an hour, like I respect it. Like I got my money's worth. Okay. It's one of those kind of situations for the book. For the movie though, loved it. Wow. Okay. Cool. So yeah, that's what's popping. 
Layton, what's our next segment? God, my scalp is sweating. Our next segment is me putting deodorant onto my skull. Uh, our next segment and our final segment is peaches and lemons, which is a combination of a gratitude exercise and just bitching. So we're going to start with a lemon, which is each of us sharing a petty grievance. And then we will each share three peaches, which are things that we're excited about, happy for. Nice peachy things. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. We shall start with lemons. Who wants to throw a lemon at my face right now? I'll do one real quick. Oh, I wish I could talk to myself from two days ago when I responded to an email saying, the rest of my week is pretty light, so I can take care of this. And then it's been nonstop putting out stupid fires since then. Uh... One of those things where it's like stuff keeps coming across the plate that needs to be dealt with right away. And the thing that I said I could take care of because I had more free time just did not get done. Oh, so frustrating. I mean, it's great. It's good to be busy, but... Uh, but also just one of those things where it's like, why did I do that? Why did I fucking send that email? I just set myself up for the ultimate self-own mm. where <laughs> I was just like, yeah, of course I can handle that. You know, I got Thursday free. I got no meetings scheduled. Nope. Then Thursday ended up being wall-to-wall meetings. Important, quote-unquote important, but like worth doing stuff. But it's like, oh man, come on. That's my nightmare. Or when you're like, yeah, I'm totally free. And then everyone wants to schedule for 2 p.m. on Friday. Yes, exactly. I meant I'm free if y'all pick different times and dates. (laughs) I also had a thing where it's like, okay, we're supposed to have a meeting that day. And then the time of the meeting was not set until literally right before the meeting was supposed to happen. And then someone sends an email, which is like, the meeting's now. It's like, no, God, can't we just like fucking pick a time? And it's all great. I'm like a dog. I have to have structure. You can't just be like, hey, we're going a place now. I will have a breakdown. Yeah. I just want to know what I'm getting into that day. Yeah. You know, I want to wake up in the morning, see my schedule and be like, okay, I can write music from 10 to noon or like, I want to know when I can get those blocks in and it didn't happen, but it's all good. Sometimes I get into this mode where I'm like, I don't believe that I'll ever have anything to do in the future. And then suddenly things start coming at me and I'm just like, do other people have a handle on this? Like are other people (laughs) scheduling things and achieving them in a timely manner? And I'm not like, What's happening? Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, ah, oh, great. Got that three days of worth of stuff done. It'll never happen again. <laughs> I do exactly that. And I couple that with looking at the stuff I did in the past and being like, well, I'm never going to do better than that. I can't even remember what I was thinking when I wrote that. So not only am I going to be fruitless in the future, I have no idea what my past self was doing it when it did the thing I actually liked. Right. You're like, I can't repeat that because that was when I was good. Yeah, 100%. Dude, take that feeling and get diagnosed with bipolar too because then it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm on mood stabilizers. It's all good, but I'm not going to be like, hypomanic episodes are awesome, but hypomanic episodes are fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. It's just like, once you're aware of it, because it usually takes a little bit, it's like, all right. I'm going to need to get everything that I need to do in the next six months done in the next four days. Like, chop, chop, let's go. I can't even imagine. Yes. Props to you because you're functioning. Oh, yeah, big time. Mostly. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Anna, what's your lemon? This is a bit of a, like, abstract one, I suppose, but I've been getting really 
frustrated about disinformation, especially lately. And I don't know if that's just because I'm online more than I've ever been in my life, but... Or something about all of us being collectively gaslit about everything at every possible turn. Right. So specifically, I get frustrated when the left spreads disinformation. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not QAnon. I'm not going to say we're going that far, but I'm saying don't just repost it because you saw it on Instagram. Like the $15 minimum wage has really got my goat this week because... The bill that the $15 minimum wage was supposed to go into was a reconciliation bill, which is not meant for that kind of legislation. Yes. It's meant for budget only. And so what Bernie was hoping to do when he slipped the $15 minimum wage into this bill is he was hoping to basically say, hey, look at all these Republicans who are going to vote against this just to get a consensus. It's not meant for that bill. It's meant for a different bill that will require a 60 vote majority, right? That's just what that kind of legislation needs to go through. And listen, the Democrats, I want that fucking dumpster fire to sink into the ocean. I don't know if it was on a ship in that analogy or what was happening, but (laughs) I want it to go away. But I'm just saying it's panic where we don't need panic right now. I completely agree with you. Yeah. They tried it in this bill. It didn't go forward. And unfortunately, some Democrats showed their hand. So, okay, we'll address that later. But it's not like... We tried it once and it's dead. Yeah. Like this was literally like, I don't know what this image is, like trying to throw a, a can on a, a, the car is is going away and you have- You a, got it. You got it. You have a like a luggage and the train is moving and you're throwing the, so I hope it gets on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm also worried people are going to lose hope then. You know what I mean? We're going to lose hope for the yeah. $15 minimum wage, which by the way is $5 too low. We're in 2021. But- Just that has really gotten me riled up this week. It really bothers me because it is a great example of the, if you don't 100% agree with me on every single thing, you are an irredeemable monster and go fuck yourself forever. It is. And it's like, no, people have sometimes good reasons for disagreeing with you or not doing the thing you want them to do. And maybe that's not the case for all these senators. Certainly the optics of what Kirsten Cinema did today aren't great, right. but there are good reasons to vote against this right now. And that doesn't mean it's dead forever. I really, really hate exactly the thing you're talking about where people get all up in arms about things they don't have all the facts straight about. Yeah. It drives me insane. And I get frustrated with institutions that I see tweeting about inflammatory things, you know? And I'm like, come on. I think it's just this idea of like, we're on the right side of history, so everything is right. Yeah. No, we still need to be fact-checking because it's human nature to want the quickest, easiest answer that evokes the most emotion. Yes. It's the web sleuth thing again. Yeah, it is. And the left puts out just as much pseudoscience bullshit as the right, just kind of about different stuff sometimes. Yeah. It's just human cognitive traps that we all fall into. Leighton, you mentioned gaslighting. It's just difficult when you're a person who has been gaslit before. (laughs) When you're like, I'm trying to maintain my reality every day. Like, it's very important to me to maintain my reality. And disinformation from anywhere doesn't help me. Yep. Yeah, it's legitimately re-traumatizing because it puts you back in the headspace of someone who is being explicitly gaslit, which in those situations, the gaslighting ain't the only thing going on there. Folks, if you feel like you're doubting your reality and you're being gaslit by society and it's making your brain worse, like, you're not alone in that. Check in, man. Go to the New York Times. There are reliable sources. I luckily have a good friend who's 
in the sphere of politics and law. And so I was able to just be like, hey, I heard this thing on the radio. Walk me through this. Am I understanding this correctly? And I was. I was like, why are people freaking out? You know? I love it. Layton? My lemon is very simple. Fruit flies. Oh, fruit flies. When it's like a regular fly, at least you have like a larger moving target where it's like, all right, I hear and see you, but fruit flies are like, anytime you get in a position like, all right, I'm going to slap them. I'm going to slap them right now. They like sense that you've thought about it and they fly away and then they come back and sit on your face. Fruit flies are what I imagine people say that electrons do, right? Isn't there some (laughs) evidence that electrons can disappear and appear somewhere else? Brian, check me on this. Yes, no, that's true. Yep. Quantum tunneling. Yeah. I was talking to Jory about this today because we were on a call and I was clearly looking at a fly that was flying around. So just genuinely looked like I was losing my mind on call. And Jory made a really good point about how having a fly in your place that you can hear is a very like Poe telltale heart kind of situation where like it does not escape you until it is gone or dead. Mm -hmm. It will continue to be haunted by this large body whipping through the air. I would like to just note the concept of a quote unquote telltale heart situation because I feel like there are actually a lot of things that fall into telltale heart situation. I really like turning movie titles into verbs, you know, right. like, I don't want to get hereditaried. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind, but it happens like way too often for me. And then people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't see what you could misunderstand about me fucking grammar to make this movie title work as a verb. (laughs) All right, peaches, each of us, three things that are nice and good. Do you want to go first, Layton? Sure, yeah. First peach is that I've been attempting to be more functional in my life. I've been neglecting a lot of basic self-care shit because, you know, the depression. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded a habit tracker app that's like a don't break the chain kind of thing and then just put in the most like basic, like wash face, brush (laughs) hair, Uh eat dinner. And it's great because like then when I get to the bigger things on my checklist, it's like, well, I have momentum. I already washed my face. So I just need to check these other ones off. For the very first time in my entire life, I have been making my bed every day. Wow. And that's a win for me. As a lifelong depressed person, folks, I know it's annoying when people tell you like, oh, just go outside and they make your bed, drink water. But like making your bed does take two seconds and does improve your quality of life. It really does. I think these things are called, I might be misusing this term, but keystone habits. Hmm. So quitting smoking is like, I'm not recommending quitting smoking because it's actually much bigger than making your bed. But it's one of those things where it's like, once you quit smoking, you start exercising, you start eating better. It's one of these keystone habits that's like a connected to other things. And making your bed is totally a keystone habit where you're like, wow, look how nice my bed looks. There's a uh, book called Habit Stacking. I think it's that exact concept. But yeah, That is my first peach. My second peach is that maybe it's just been really good lately. I've just been taking her on rides with me. And when I first adopted her for the first year and a half, she hated cars, terrified of cars, would vomit every time. Now she is just like so happy to be on my lap. I've been letting her go like off leash in my complex. And she always comes back when I call her. She stays right next to me. If she runs up before me, she will sit and wait by my door. And she can be a little fucker a lot of the time. So when she starts not being a fucker, it is very gratifying as a dog owner. And my last peach is that we're getting a lot of notifications that we are 
creeping ever closer to the oh, shit. 300 patrons, which you folks know what that means. Hold on. Give me a... Uh, oh, there it is. That's what it is, baby. Brian's going <laughs> to smoke weed. <gasps> okay. Let's be clear. Brian is going to ingest something with THC. Yeah. Oh, Brian, I have the perfect edibles for you. Great. Because it's been a long time since I've done it. It's not my first time. It's been a long time. I'm going to say this up front. I will not be smoking. I do not smoke. I'm not going to let shit into my lungs. Oh, boy. You're playing a dangerous game. Yeah. (laughs) Is the bit here to get him zooted or no? Well, we're going to see. I don't want to get completely fucked up. I was going to say, too high is not fun. It is certainly not. I've been too high before, and that's when I was... I don't know, fucking 20 or something. I have no interest in doing that again. It's the feeling of everyone knows I'm high and I'm going to be high forever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which also, by the way, something that gets better after you turn 25. I have found that when I partake in definitely weed and other natural substances that Mm -hmm. I now have much better control and sense of self and sense of my mind. Like being too high used to be a really crippling experience. And as Mm -hmm. I've sort of become a more complete person, it's a much more pleasant experience now. That's really good to hear. Leighton is going to be my Sherpa through this journey. And I want to be careful about it where I would like it to have an effect but I don't want to freak out. I don't know that she should be your Sherbrad. <laughs> Maybe I should be your Sherbrad. Listen, this is the old parlor trick, folks. You, mm. <laughs> so you put water in your mouth and you just actually know it. I'll let you guys believe I'm taking a fat bong rip. So basically, I just wanted to say this since people have asked about it. There is a chance that Brian will not actually get high. Yes, from, you know, doing this for the first time in a while. And if that's the case, we will try again because you folks deserve the hunt for the green October. I'm telling you that I have played weed roulette for a lot of my life. You mean with like (laughs) edibles? All weed. Because I used to only have exclusively negative experiences with it. And anytime someone gave me something, and I guess just take this with a grain of salt because this is what I'm telling you. Anytime anyone was like, try this thing, like always too strong. Always too strong. Every single time. And I finally landed on half of a Camino. It's a yuzu lemon flavor gummy. It's five milligrams THC. I eat half of it. And I'm kind of cruising. I'm good to go with half, maybe like three quarters. Oh yeah, I've had these. They're really good. That sounds exactly my speed. Someone who responded to one of those tweets was like, I recommend 15 milligrams. No. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. No way. No way. You're a grown man, so maybe you would take a little more than I take. But these Yuzu Lemon ones, I found that the blend is the least people are looking at me, I'm going to die, that I've found. That sounds great. The company that makes it, Kiva, they also do like the best edible chocolate bars that are like in five milligrams. And those are always pretty like level. This sounds great. I want this. They have like a churro chocolate one that's super good. But yeah, the five milligram dosage, whatever, for this thing, since Brian, you are going to smoke weed. I will also smoke weed, but at a commensurate amount or, you know, ingest. Yeah. A commensurate amount for, that's a very nice way to say I'm a stoner. I will say there's not a good way to say eat weed or I sometimes will say take weed. Okay. I am so glad we're talking about this. So I've had to tweet this is like a goal on our Patreon. The phrasing I came up with, which was the most inclusive thing I could think of, was ingest either THC or marijuana, whatever you want to say. And it sounds so clinical and stupid. 
This is like we're doing ketamine depression treatments in a clinical environment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I don't want to say smoke because I'm not going to smoke. And I don't want to say something like, Brian, will do drugs. Like, who the fuck says do drugs? Like, come on. I'm doing a weed. I don't see what's wrong with doing a weed. Hey, should we get a couple weeds done this week? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, my third peach will do a weed whenever that happens. So great. Tell your friends, tell your parents. This is Patreon. I think that's a guest list episode with you, me, and Jarek. Ooh. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's get Jarek in on it. Yeah. I don't know what his weed consumption habits are, but uh we'll we'll you know, we'll see. Hi Jarek, we love you. By the way, Jarek did suggest we make it a four hour and twenty minute episode. Which... <laughs> I do think that's brilliant. Oh I mean, it's not a bad idea, but wow. We guys aren't doing it live, right? We're not doing it live. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's actually, as an experienced weedster, that's my nightmare. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. Anyway, one of you, Peaches? Anna? Yeah. So I have Snickers ice cream bars in my freezer right now. That's one of my peaches. I have a sweet tooth. I'm just glad I have them and I'm looking forward to having one later. It's a simple pleasures, you know? Yep. Frozen Snickers rules. One of my other peaches is that, this is going to sound so silly, but I'm hoping there are people who are interested in mental health who listen to your podcast. And For sure. I've been yeah. working with my therapist on sort of not self-betraying, you know, some of these good things around setting boundaries. Fuck yeah. One of the things that I've really enjoyed is she's like, just notice the little things that you like because that can help you with your sense of self. And so whenever I find something that I like and sort of like feel like, wow, that is really like a part of who I am as a person. They're so small, but they're so precious to me now. And puzzles is one of them for me. I love having a puzzle around in some capacity. After I discovered this, I was like, I went out and bought a puzzle. I went and bought a Rubik's Cube. And then Ryan, for my birthday, he got me one of these like escape rooms in a box. You know, they send you a box of Mm -hmm. props and codes and a journal that tells the story. And so I'm working on that right now. And it's just been pleasurable for me to like recognize that about myself and occupy myself with these things that kind of keep my anxious brain The car's wheels are already spinning. I'm just pointing it in the right direction. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, and then I have another one. I have a third one, huh? This is also going to seem really simple. When I think about this one, I think that it is so depressing that I live in a system that makes me feel grateful for this every day. But I am just so grateful for my apartment. I just love my apartment. I don't want to sound like I'm like saying that houselessness is bad, but houselessness is bad. Being houseless is not bad or indicative of being bad. And so I'm just appreciative of my apartment and just like, you know how we're always like, we take clean water for granted. Some days it it is like the most simple gratitude. Just be like, wow, this is nice. I'm so, I feel lucky to have a home. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Having a place to live that you love is honestly rare and it should be appreciated. That's fantastic. Yeah, feeling really grateful for it. That's lovely. Brian? Yes. All right. Here are my peaches. Peach number one, Anna, something you, you said ties into one of my peaches, which is that I am a puzzler and a puzzle constructor, <gasps> and I am writing with some friends a puzzle hunt, or I, I'm a contributor to a puzzle hunt for my colleges, for an event my college is throwing throughout the year. And I was writing a puzzle today for this. I can't say what it is because it's part of the thing that hasn't come out yet, but writing this puzzle, I was in the most like flow statey. Mm kind of headspace I've been in a very long time, probably a couple months, like time went away. I was just in this thing engrossed in it. And it's such a great feeling when you're in that state. So good. It's so rare. 
and has to be the perfect combination of things. I was playing the Ben Folds album I was talking about. I'm writing this puzzle. I'm texting with the guy who's editing it to see what kind of, you know, like stuff. It was kind of a last minute thing because one of the other constructors like dropped out at the last minute. I love writing puzzles. I love doing puzzles. And it was just a really great mental space to be in. I love that. So that's uh, peach number one. <laughs> peach number two, very simple. I don't know how I did it. I made the perfect gin and tonic for myself right before coming in here. Uh, and yo. I didn't measure anything. It just kind of happened. I, I don't know how to make good drinks most of the time, but this one worked out and I'm very, very happy about it. Brian, do you remember it was, I want to say Vernon's birthday, maybe I guess two years ago now, where we went to that bar in our neighborhood. Yes. And you're like, I think this is the worst gin and tonic I've ever had. Yes. And then we were all sipping it. Um, I mean, like, yeah, this indeed. I was drinking the worst Jack and Coke I've ever had. It was really like bonding. It was a local bar and they were having like well drink specials or something. And I ordered a, a gin and tonic and it was like unimaginably awful. Oh my God. <laughs> so bad. And I think it was the kind of tonic they were using. It tasted like, you know how when you get sometimes like a diet tonic, it just sucks and it's real chemically and awful. Ugh. And it's like the overly sweet yeah. part of it. <laughs> oh, it was just terrible. And I look back on that memory so fucking fondly. Yeah. That was a crazy night too because I'm a big supporter of this radio station in New Jersey, WFMU. I donate to them and I have a lot of free t-shirts from them from the donations. And this dude at the bar was like, whoa, WFMU. And it turned out we were into the same program and we actually like exchanged numbers and struck up a friendship around this radio program. Wow. That we both like the best show. Yeah, in fact, I was going to like hang out with him right before COVID hit and we kind of never made it happen. And I haven't been in touch since. Keep meaning to reach back out. But I have never, literally never once at a bar, struck up a conversation with someone, even in like a romantic capacity and been like, hey, let's exchange numbers. I've never done that. This guy, was the first time I've ever done that. It's a better radio station. Yeah, over this radio station because we're both comedy nerds over the same fucking thing. That's so sweet. And he was a totally sweetheart of a guy. And then we ended up going to a kind of related event, not together, but like happened to be at the same thing a couple weeks later. So I saw him there. And uh, he seemed like a real sweet guy. That's so lovely. Yeah, right? I didn't ever get the follow-up. I remember you being excited about talking to a guy who knew what your shirt was, but... Yeah. This isn't even one of your technical peaches. This is just a memory. No. Whole other fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> remember um, memories? Anyway, Brian, continue. <laughs> my final peach is I, I posted a picture on my Twitter today of me and my daughter from well, it was a few years ago, probably three or four years ago, both eating hot dogs. And we are making the exact same face. Oh my gosh. And it looks like she is a clone of me. Holy shit. This is an incredible photo. Tell us about the sandwich you're eating. Are you eating a hot dog? We're both eating a hot dog. <laughs> and look at her eyebrows and her eyes and look at my eyebrows and my eyes. And your mouth area actually as well. Like yep. a similar lip thing happening. Those uh, nasolabial folds, I believe they're called. That makes sense. So if you scroll down on that thread, someone did the thing where they put ninja masks over both of our faces. I see that. And we look the same. <laughs> well, I mean, that's identical. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. We literally have the same mask, right? I think is what they call that area. Yep. A little hot dog restaurant and we're both eating a hot dog and we look exactly the same. And I've been literally looking at this picture and beaming all day because A, she was still a baby back then. This is so long ago. And it's just such a cute picture where it's obvious we're related. 
This is beautiful. I'm going to stare at this forever. This entire time I've been looking at is still of a YouTube video of John Malkovich in conversation with John Hodgman. <laughs> um, but this will resume. Now I'm just imagining Audrey going on a John Malkovich monologue. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, everybody, that's late in night. Anna, thank you so much for being here. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for your time. I can't even tell you how much fun this was. I mean, how long has it been since I've met a new person or like engaged in new friendships? Oh, right. <laughs> and it was one of my favorite things to do pre-pandemic. And so thank you so much for having me and for just blessing my Friday evening. This was truly a delight. And where can people find you or your work online if you would like to plug? I've been trying to keep the social media presence pretty minimal, but I'm on Instagram and um, TikTok, arguably the worst too. I'm getting so close to making a TikTok account and I really don't want to. Don't do it. 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 Honestly, I think you should. If you ever want to be walked through how it works, it's a completely unintuitive platform. Yeah. But it is the way of the future. Better to get on sooner rather than later. Yep. But my Instagram's Anna, A-N-N-A underscore L-O-R-E. And my TikTok is actually, I couldn't get that because I don't know why, but I'm L-O-R-E dot A-N-N-A on TikTok. So... Great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, folks, that's our episode for today. I hope you're all well. As always, I say this with so much hesitation now. I love it. Now your reluctance to say the thing that you fucking came up with <laughs> is one of my favorite parts of the show. It's it's the new what's poppin' bit. You dug your own grave on this. I really did. Um, anyway, folks. Uh, say it. Wait, no, no, no. You need to say it loud <laughs> and say it proud. It's your baby. Folks, stay safe. Come hard. That's the end of the podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh Late Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. <laughs>